Here we go. Hope erupting, darkness shaking, faith is rising. We know, we know, we know. Heartbeat racing, living in your freedom. Joy overflowing. We know, we know, we know. And we know, we know, we know. And our hope forever is the name of Jesus. We are free and you are with us. The church is alive. Passion burning. You know this one. We waited for this day. 
Hallelujah. Father, we come into your presence this morning with thanksgiving and praise in our heart. And Father, we thank you that we're understanding some things about things that we call normal that you say aren't normal. And Father, we believe this morning that you're here today, that your presence fills this place. And Father, we taught a couple of weeks ago, if you remember church, we talked about it's not normal to praise God when maybe things aren't going well. And yet, if you want to see the well, if you want to see the good, if you want to see God move, sometimes you're going to have to sing before you see. Sometimes you're going to have to engage the presence of God because God inhabits the praises of his people. If you want God to show up, God lives in a habitation or a house of praise. God lives in a place of gratitude. God lives in a place of thanksgiving. And I want to encourage you this morning to make that place for your God to dwell in, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what is going on, regardless of what might have happened in these past few days or weeks or even in your your entire lifetime. Because he's given us life, he's given us love, he's given us grace, he's given us mercy, and that's the reason that we can exalt him and we can worship him in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Father. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Father. We praise you. We exalt you. We worship you. Oh, yes, you, Jesus. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore Every heart that is broken, great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, it's your breath. Oh, my God. 
Oh, we worship you. Yeah, we build a place, a habitation for your presence to dwell in. Father, we worship you. Oh, let our songs rise to you, Jesus. All the earth shout your praise and our hearts will cry. These bones will sing the great are you, Lord. All the earth will shout your praise and our hearts will cry. These bones will sing great are you, Christian Center. How's everybody doing this morning? Good to see you, be with you. Um, if you haven't been around the past couple of weeks, we've been doing uh, something for the kids as well as us adults. Um, we have what we call is the what's up for today. Um, Grandpa Bold is going to come up and he's going to teach us the what's up for, th for today. Um, but every time you see Grandpa Bold pop up on the screen, your job is to repeat the phrase that he teaches you this morning. All right, so you guys can have a seat and watch Grandpa Bold. everyone, I'm Grandpa Bold, and I'm here to tell you what's up. Over the last few weeks, we've been learning that the principles of the Bible are not normal. First, we learned that when we praise, God will make a way. Then sometimes we need to sing before we can see you. Then we learned that when we are born again, we have the life of God living on the inside of us. Woo-wee! And today is something very special. Drum roll, please. Come on, I want to hear a drum roll. The what's up for today is I'm a new creation in Christ. 
So anytime today, when you see my face pop up on the screen like this, what's up? Or when someone asks you what's up, you tell them I'm a new creation. Say that with me. I am a new creation. One more time. I am a new creation. So anytime today, when you see my face pop up on the screen like this, what's up? Or when someone asks you what's up, you tell them I am a new creation. I'm Grandpa Bold, and with Jesus, I can be very bold. Amen. Hallelujah. I told Wally earlier, I said, I guarantee you I'm getting way more out of that than any of the kids are. So glory to God. We are glad that you are here. I'm Pastor John, one of the associates here at Joy. And uh, just a few things we want to let you know before we get into the word today. First of all, uh, we're glad you're here. Um, you know, we are in these phases, and, and if you need to get information on the phases, uh, one, we're in now. We'll head to two as soon as we can. Three is on the, it's all on the website. You can go there and look at it. If you have questions, we encourage you to do that. Uh, the other thing we need you to know is that in addition to the 250 that are here, we have an overflow room uh, over in the Joy Elementary. If you've got kids with you today, we're glad that you're here. And uh, if you want to escape, if you need a moment of escape to go uh, watch on video over there, you can. We have care rooms and mom rooms as well. So you can go to the Connections team. They can get you there. And then the other thing I want you to be aware of is every week we've got anywhere from two to 300 people joining us online. We are glad you're here. Would you give them a joy shout? Tell them you're glad they're here. Amen. We're glad you're here. And uh, we just love you, and we thank you for your patience in all of this, and uh, everybody's doing a great job. If you've got any questions, certainly don't hesitate to ask. Uh, as you give today, we're going to pray over the giving, even though we're not physically collecting. Uh, there are boxes as you leave today. You can put your offering. If you brought a tithe or an offering, you can put it there. And, of course, we encourage you to continue to do that online as you have been for years. That's nothing new. So we thank you for that. Other than that, I just want to pray as we, as we uh, think about our giving this week. Uh, let's take our gifts, or at least a representative of our gift, and let Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are faithful and that you are generous. And God, because you are those things, as your children, we endeavor to be the same, faithful and generous. And God, we thank you that it's by your grace and by your mercy that we do anything that we do. And as we give, Father, as a family, as we give, Father, we just declare that you are God. You are God over every part of our lives. And we thank you, Father, for blessing anything we put into the ground, putting your hand upon it. And, Father, let it bring forth more fruit than we could ever imagine. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, amen. Welcome, Pastor Brian, as he comes. Hallelujah. You guys are alive this morning. Praise God. What's up? What's up? I'm a new creation in Christ. Now, I hope that by the end of today that that becomes more than just a few words that you've been taught to say. Like last week we were talking about my pastor friend who was a high school quarterback. His wife was the head cheerleader for two years and they got married and 10 years later he's watching a football game and the, uh, the announcer said first and 10 and she walked by and she said, what in the world does first and 10 actually mean? And he was shocked. He was like, are you kidding me? You, you, you had to have said that hundreds of times during high school football games, first and 10, do it again. She goes, I know, it was just a phrase that they taught me to say. I don't know what it means, though. And, and our desire, my desire as a pastor, our desire as a church is to help you understand some of those phrases. What does it mean when we say, I'm a new creation in Christ? Why, why did I need to be a new creation? How did I end up becoming a new creation? What, what, benefit, uh, uh, what benefit do I get out of being a new creation in Christ? Or like last week, we talked about the new birth the week before we were talking. And actually, we're talking about things that aren't normal. Look at the person next to say, you're not normal. 
Look at the person on the other side and say, you're not normal either. <laughs> All of you should say, I resemble that remark. <laughs> We're not normal as followers of Christ. We're not normal in the body of Christ. And so I'm just taking some time to go through the Bible and look at things that aren't normal because a lot of times the way we define what's normal and, and really what sparked it is this whole thing that we're living through with the coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it, that, that you know, many people I heard say, I, I can't wait to get back to normal. I can't wait till things are like they used to be. And, and then, you know, others are encouraging us, encouraging us to embrace a new normal as if, you know, there's something that is on the horizon. And usually when I hear the new normal, it's a negative thing because it's like, you're just going to have to suck it up, buttercup, and get used to it because we ain't going back to the good times that you used to have before. Now, maybe I'm the only one who feels that way, but whenever I hear new, new normal, that's just like a red flag almost to me. And so my, my point simply really in, in, in all of this is to examine some of the things in Christianity that aren't normal. And, and we typically identify things that are normal as things that are, 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 are the routine or things that, that have come to be uh, uh, in our society or in our culture. There are things that we would all most all agree on that that's just sort of a normal behavior. That is a standard. That, is, that becomes the norm of life. And others, normal is a place they want to get back to because it represents perhaps the rhythm of life, the things that we're used to. And, and so I, I'm challenging that in this series and that maybe normal is not something that we've come to expect all of the time and that maybe normal isn't something we should desire to get back to, but maybe normal is something that's still out in front of us that God wants to bring us into. And I've been using this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and uh, it says this, and actually, I, I thought about taking, uh, I probably should have taken the time to read the first two verses to give you some context, but I'm going to tell you about it, which generally takes longer to tell you about what it says than actually just reading it. But anyway, Paul was addressing the church at Corinth, and, and, and he's trying to encourage this body of believers in their faith in Christ and, 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 and the power of the resurrection and what it's done in their life. And, and he uses some terminology, and he says some things to them when he says that, that you know, now that you're in Christ, now that you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. He said, I, I really want to teach you some things that are profound and they're deep and they're spiritual, but I can't bring them to you because you're still acting like little babies in Christ. He said, I want to teach you this. I want to give you the meat of the gospel, but instead I got to feed you with some milk. And the reason he had to do that is what we read in verse three. He says this, you're still following the ways of this world. Well, that's just normal, isn't it? I mean, we're just following the norm of our society. We're just following the norm of our culture. Some of you are jealous. That's just normal in this world. Some of you argue. That's just normal in this world. Well, of course I argue. They tick me off. They wouldn't bug me, then I wouldn't be arguing with them. If they just see my point of view, I wouldn't have to argue with them at all. If they didn't have better stuff than me, I wouldn't have to be jealous. In fact, if we could all just have everything the same, be the same, everything else, then everything would be fine. We would find very quickly we wouldn't be fine because there's a deeper issue in the heart of humanity. And so he goes on and he says, because you're jealous, because you're arguing, because of these things where you're acting like the world, he said, aren't you following the ways of this world? And we're like, yep, we are, because that's normal. That's what everybody does. Everybody lives that way. And then Paul says this, and this is what I think should arrest all of us in our thinking. Aren't you acting like ordinary human beings? Can I tell you something this morning? You do not have to act like everybody else. 
You don't have to act like an ordinary human. It's kind of cheesy, but I like saying this when somebody says, how you doing? I say, super, naturally. Why? What's up? I am the new creation. That's why I'm doing super, naturally, because I'm not who I used to be. And that's, that, that I think, in fact, I know it, it changes, it really changes everything because for a lot of people, normal is to be lost. Normal is to be confused. Normal is to be discouraged. Normal is to have this world overcome you and the pressures of life greater than you. That's just normal. Normal is to react in a way that if somebody wrongs you, you're going to get even with them or get ahead. If somebody speaks something bad to you, you're going to cuss them out. I would say that would normally be second service, but they're not here. <laughs> yeah, we are. Thank you for coming early. <laughs> Thank you for representing second service. <laughs> oh, praise God. Normal is to be so broken by life that you don't know or don't, can't even imagine that there could be something better than you're living right now. That's normal to a lot of people, but that's not normal in the kingdom of God. That's not normal in the body of Christ, or at least... While it might be normal to us, it is not normal the way that God defines normal, which is why I'm trying to encourage you that maybe normal isn't something to get back to, but normal is something that God wants to lead you into. Believe that with all of my heart, that for you individually, for us collectively, for this church, there is something that God wants to bring us into in this season. Believe that with all my heart. We shouldn't want to get back to what we used to do. We shouldn't want to get back to some of the normal of the past. We, we, we need to look ahead to perhaps what God has on the horizon. And so Christianity is not normal. You don't have to act like a, a, a mere human being. And, and again, we can't define normal on our terms. We have to define it on God's terms, which is why we teach the word of God, which is why our number one desire as a church is to help you know God. Because as you begin to know God, you begin to understand who he is, it will eventually lead you into freedom in your life. And that freedom is the thing that Paul was talking about. When you used to argue, when you used to be jealous, when you used to be dominated by the feelings of the flesh, but you don't have to anymore because the life of God is on the inside of you. You're not who you used to be because you're a new creation in Christ. And those are more than just words. There's life-giving power in those words. And so last week, well, actually two weeks ago, we talked about it's not normal to worship God. It's not normal to praise God when things haven't changed yet. It's not normal to be joyful when everything around you is joyless. And yet the Bible says that in those moments, we should lift up a song of praise. In those moments, we should engage our God because God inhabits the praises of his people. God dwells among praise. God dwells among thanksgiving. That's where God wants to live. It's in that place and that habitation of praise that you and I get to build for him. Last week we talked about it's not normal to be born twice. It's kind of a crazy thought, isn't it? You need to be born a second time. Jesus said that to a man by the name of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus asked the obvious question, Lord, how can I enter into my mother's womb a second time and be born? I love the simplicity of the Bible. I mean, you know, if you're a visual person, that's just... Weird. I mean, how can that happen? What if your what if your mom's gone? What if she's passed away? Sorry, guess you can't go to heaven. Jesus said, "You must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of heaven." But there's a reason for that. It, the, redemption is is all set up on legal grounds. It makes so much sense when you understand it. 
I get excited about it. <laughs> Back in the beginning, I used candles last week. I almost thought about dragging them out again, but they were all put away and didn't want to ask somebody to do that. So I used candles last week. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. God breathed, and whoosh, man, this earth started to be created. And on the, then, then he began to fashion and form, do all kinds of cool things. And then he made dust. He took some dust and some spit, whoosh, boom, spit in the ground and made a Play-Doh man. Amen? That was like the first 24 verses of Genesis chapter 1. That's the condensed speed read version. <laughs> I don't know what it was. Anyway, go home and read it. All right, but, but anyway, so God created man, and the Bible says in, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 that God created man in his image and in his likeness. Now, this physical body that we all represent and wear that God fashioned out of the dust of the ground doesn't represent God. The Bible says that God is a spirit. And so God created man in his image and in his likeness, and the Bible says he breathed into him the breath of life. God, ruach, it was the breath of God. It was the spirit of God that he put on the inside of Adam. And the Bible says Adam became a living soul, a, a life-giving spirit. That's what Adam became. He was a finite copy of an infinite God. Everything that God wanted humanity to become and to be, God put in his creation, Adam. And he said, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to replenish the earth with beings and people that are just like you because they're just like me. They're on the same wavelength. They're on the same level. They have the same capacity to communicate one with the other. And God breathed into Adam this breath of life. I, I call it God's one-man plan. God had a one-man plan. He wanted to put everything into one person, Adam. And then Adam was to replenish the earth with people like himself. And if you know the story of the book of Genesis, as somebody said, if you can understand the first five chapters of the book of Genesis, the Bible will come alive to you. If you understand what happened, the Bible says that, 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 that um, Adam and Eve, they, they, they fellowshiped with God, they, they hung out with God, they had a great time with God there was, because they were, able to, they were on the same level. They were able to communicate back and forth. One day the enemy came, the serpent, Satan, came and said, you know what? You eat this fruit, you're going to be just like God. And one of the things they didn't know is that they were already just like God. Their spirit was the same as God's spirit. If you could look at the DNA of God and the DNA of Adam, they were, they, if there was a spiritual DNA, they were the same. Father God and children of God. But when the enemy came and said, if you eat this fruit, you're going to be like God. In the day that they ate, it says they died. See, God had said, if you eat of this tree, put all this other stuff out there, it's all for you. You can have it, except for this one tree. That's, God always says, there's one thing that I want. There's one thing that's mine. Don't touch it. God is a God. He's jealous at times, possessive at times. And he said, this tree's mine. Don't eat of it. And there's reasons why we won't go into it. But, but he said, don't eat of this tree. And that's the tree that the enemy said, if you eat this tree, you're going to be just like God. This is a God tree. This is God food. Well, what they didn't understand is that that was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There was something that was going to happen, something that was going to come into his spirit. And the moment that he ate of that fruit and Eve ate with him, the Bible says they died. And, and really, 
death is in nature. We think of death only in physical terms, but death is in nature when you look at it in the Bible. It is a nature. Just like life, when we say eternal life, we think that means going to heaven and living forever. Eternal life is in nature that you get the moment you make Jesus the Lord of your life. If you wait to heaven, if you wait until heaven to get eternal life, you won't have it. You need to get it here. But eternal life is what's, what's birthed into your spirit. And Adam experienced a birth in reverse. He had the life of God, but the moment that sin entered in, this nature entered in, his, his nature was corrupt. His nature became broken. His nature became separated and contrary from God. In fact, Jesus, you know, thousands of years later, to the, to the religious leaders, he said, you are of your father, the devil. What he was saying is, you have the same nature, the same spiritual DNA, if you will, of the devil. Now, that, for some people, that just, whoa, that's just weird. Is this where all the Hollywood movies, you know, I mean, all of the weird movies, the demonic movies, and, 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 you know, the exorcist and stuff, which should have been over in 30 seconds in the name of Jesus. Get out of there. Come out of him. Her. (laughs) Some of you look at me like, It's not normal. I said, it's not normal. And so God's one-man plan, Adam sinned, and the nature that was in Adam became corrupt. It became broken. But God still had a one-man plan. And we read these words in Genesis chapter 5, and it says, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son, notice this, in his own likeness in his own image, and named him Seth. So God said, let us make mankind in our image and likeness. And and, and, and Adam and Eve carried the the, the nature of God. But then Adam sinned, Adam fell, and that nature of death entered into the spirit of Adam. And then the one-man plan, the replenish the earth plan, began to happen, and he began to bear children in his image and his likeness. And all of humanity was broken. Everything in this life that we today say, well, that's just normal. God says, your normal is my broken. (laughs) What you consider normal, I consider broken. Think about it. Love your enemy. That isn't normal. Might be not normal to you. It's not normal to me. It's not normal to our thinking. We got to change our actions to get in line with God's normal. But it is normal to God. I, uh, how many of you know what a wax ring is? On a toilet, exactly. Actually, it's under the toilet. Actually, it's in about the nastiest place that anything around a toilet could actually be. How many of you ever changed one? How many of you have ever changed two? Three? Four? Five? Six? Seven? Eight? I have changed at least eight wax rings on the same toilet. At least. You've obviously never seen a wax ring because there is like, there's not like rocket science here. It's not, there's like only one way a wax, wax well, there's two ways a wax ring can go. I mean, and, and I, I, you know, the book, the, the box is, it's pretty explanatory. Google, really explanatory. YouTube, beyond the shadow of a doubt. And I have used the super heavy-duty wax ring. I have used the foam wax ring. I've used the wax ring, wax ring. I've used all kinds of different things. And for whatever reason, every couple of years, we get a leak. 
Now, it used to not be as big of a deal in our basement because the upstairs bathroom is right above the downstairs bathroom because we didn't have a, it wasn't a finished basement. It wasn't a big deal. It would just drip, which is kind of a big deal if you use the downstairs bathroom. But if you don't, not a big deal. Kids, big deal. Put a towel there. Soak it up. <laughs> Come on. You'd all do the same thing. So... <laughs> But eventually, it kind of gets to be kind of a pain. And so, and again, there's nothing good about a toilet. There's just, I mean, well, there's a lot of good things about a toilet. But I mean, when you got to fix a toilet, there's nothing good about it. It's just gross and nasty and terrible. If you're watching online, I hope you're just having a good time right now. Maybe there's a reason you're never going to come here. But anyway, <laughs> and so we finished our basement a few, well, I don't know how many years ago now. We finished our basement off, so there's now a sheetrock ceiling. And that just changes everything dramatically. The hardest part is that we don't know that sometimes that thing's been leaking. Until, we, until somebody in the basement happens to go, and one year it was Steph, <laughs> Pastor Steph, she was down there. and she, She's our daughter, by the way, for those of you who don't know. Anyway, um, and, and she was like, I see something up there. She poked, she went to touch it, and her finger went <laughs> right through the sheetrock. Ah! You know, kind of a thing. And so... <laughs> so I was like, ah, oh, dang it, I got to fix a stinking wax ring again. Can't we just put a towel down there? Can we just put a, some, a cup or something to catch the water? But no, take off the bolts, pull it, you know, drain all the water, pull the stool off, scrape out the wax ring. It was just so nasty and gross. I went to Menards and bought three different kinds of wax rings. I was so mad. Bought a plate so I could change the plate that was now rusted onto the pipe and all those other things. But I think, I think, I think... I trust God <laughs> that I have, I don't know anybody that's changed more wax rings on the same stool than me. It's just the rid most ridiculous thing. Now, the reason I share all of those things is because of this. I have, I have two options when it comes to the wax ring. I don't, like, I don't like either option, to be totally honest with you, but I prefer the towel option because somebody else deals with it, number one. And I don't have to look at it, and I don't have to lift the stool. I have to deal with the mess. I don't have to scrape that. I don't have to do anything. I prefer that option. But I don't necessarily like having to replace a sheetrock ceiling. And I don't like some of the other things that come along with that. And so I have two options. I can either keep cleaning up the leak or I can fix the problem. I can keep cleaning up the leak or I can fix the problem. Look at this scripture in, in, in the book of Psalms. Verse third, chapter 38, verse 4, my guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden that is too heavy to bear. And that's where a lot of people are. My guilt overwhelms me. I feel so terrible about what has happened. I, I don't know how to deal with this. And, and, and most of our guilt, most of the shame, most of those things, it comes from one of two places, either our past... We've, we've probably all done things that we're not proud of. We've all said things or acted in ways that we wish we wouldn't have. If we could do it, have a do-over, we might go back and change those things. And, and, and we all have a past. Or sometimes that guilt comes because of other people, things that they've said or done or things that we've said or done. But that, that shame and that guilt and, and all of those things create a weight. They create a pressure. And that's what the psalmist was saying. My guilt overwhelms me and it's become a burden that is too heavy to bear. I know that there are people, I, I myself was this way at one time, that the guilt and the shame that I was living in, I didn't need to, but the guilt and shame I was living in became a, a weight that was so heavy, I couldn't carry it anymore, and I just gave up. I just quit. I just quit. 
Because I didn't know how to deal with that feeling. I didn't know how to deal with what I thought at the time was just normal. It was just normal to feel guilty. It was just normal to feel, I, I, I love my mom. She's a huge influence in my life in a, in a positive way. But she used to use these words on me, shame on you. And after a while, those words became a look. All she had to do was just look at me. And I felt that, boom, just that fast. Even today, and she's been gone for a long time, there are times that I just feel that. And it became a feeling. It became a weight. Shame became, and guilt kind of became, I don't want to say necessarily a way of life, but it was something that was influencing my life in an extremely negative, negative way. Because I felt that shame and I felt that guilt. And, and really what happens, and, and for me anyway, what happened is that feeling guilty turned into being guilty. Feeling like I was wrong turned into me being wrong. And that's what the enemy wants to do. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to trip up. We're all going to have instances in our life that we're not proud that we acted the way that we did. We are all going to fail at one time or another. But what the devil likes to do is he doesn't want to just tell you about the failure. He wants to remind you, he wants to convince you that you are a failure. That you are not just guilty, but that you are the guilt, you know, in a sense that, that you're, there's something that is wrong with you. And that's what happens with that guilt and that shame. And eventually that guilt and shame, if we don't know how to deal with it, it'll affect our relationship with other people. It'll affect our relationship with God. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they sinned, and the, the, the you know, Bible says that when God showed up to hang out with them again, they went and they hid themselves, and God later said, why is it that you hid yourself? And they said, we were afraid because we were ashamed. Shame will cause us to back away from God, often back away from other people. Shame and guilt and all of those things, which is why, again, the psalmist said what he did uh, in, in, in Psalm 38, my guilt overwhelms me. It overwhelms me. It says my shame is, my burden is too heavy to bear. And you're probably not like this, but you may know people that are like this. They've just, you see, they've just got to a point where it's, it, it's become too much for them. And see, Guilt and shame and all those things is us trying to, to pay for something that we're not designed to pay for. It's us trying to pay the price. You know, theologically, sin, let me back up. Sin has to, theologically speaking, the word of God, the price for sin, which is separation from God, the price is death. Something has to die in order for sin to be removed. Something has to be put to death. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We've said it many times here. People say, well, why would God send people to hell? God doesn't send people to hell. Hell is a place that you can go to to pay for your sins. That's what it, it's the cash register of eternity. You pay for your sins there. Now, you can pay for your sin if you want to try. I'll guarantee you right now, you will never be able to. One already did, though his name was Jesus. Jesus checked out at the cash register of eternity, and he said, their bill is paid in full. I am paying for their sin. There, there's nothing else that is owed. That is the power of the blood of Jesus. But theologically speaking, in the Bible, sin has to be paid for. Sin required a price. In the Old Testament, it was the blood of bulls and goats. In the New Testament, it was the blood of a Savior. 
who one time for all paid the price for all of us. When we try to carry the guilt and the shame ourselves, we're trying to pay that price. And yet we can turn that all over to Jesus if, we, if we're, we're willing to. And so last week I said this to you that it's not normal to be born twice. This week I want to tell you that it's not normal to die twice. What's up, church? How did you get that way? How'd you get that way? What happened? What does that mean? We, I, I made a statement last week. Pastor Tommy was asking about it. It became a, a big discussion for part of our, one of our meetings. And I made this statement last week. The greatest need of humanity is not the forgiveness of sin. The greatest need of humanity is life for their spirit. Now, for those of us that have grown up around the church world, we hear that all the time, forgiveness of sin. Jesus came to forgive our sin. He forgives our sin. He forgives our sin. And yes, he does. 1 John 1, 9, if, I'm, if, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive me of all of my sin. He'll forgive me of my sins. But our greatest need as people was not just the forgiveness of sin, it's life for our spirit and here's why. It was the spirit that was corrupt in Adam. And when his nature went from life to death, death was the nature that sin sprung out from. Sin and death are separation from God. Physical death is separation from this world. Spiritual death is separation from God. And sin caused that. And, 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 and sin, the nature, is what produces the wrong acts. And so when I make this statement to you that the greatest need of humanity is not just forgiveness of sin, but life for the spirit, listen to this in the book of Galatians. Love to go through the book of Galatians. There's so many good things in here. But verse 21, it says this, is the law therefore, because Paul was writing to people that were Gentiles, they were not under the law, they didn't have to follow the law. They got born again, spirit-filled, miracles were happening, great revival was going on in the region of Galatia, and then some, some, some people from Jerusalem came and said, you know what, that's great that you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, it's great that you're born again, but if you really want to be born again, if you really want to prove it, you need to go back now and follow the law of Moses, which wasn't bad for the women, but when the guys started finding out the part of the law of Moses was that you needed to be circumcised... Love you, honey, but I'm out. You're all quiet this morning on me. Read the Bible. It's in the book of Galatians. Paul, well, <laughs> I'll just keep giving you some milk because Paul used some strong words in the book of Galatians. Is the, and so that's Paul was upset. He was almost angry. He's like, I can't believe that you guys started out in faith in Christ, but now you're going to be made perfect by following the law. Are you nuts? Jesus came to redeem that part. He came to fulfill the law. And so we read these words in Galatians chapter 3, verse 21. Is the law therefore opposed to the promise of God? And Paul says, absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. If by keeping any of the Ten Commandments or the other 600 parts of the law, if any of those could produce righteousness or right standing with God in the heart of a human being, then, then, then right standing or righteousness would have come by the law and Jesus would have never had to come. If I could be made right by doing right things, then Jesus would have never had to come. 
And Paul later, he says, the reason for the law is to show you you can't keep it. And the reason you can't keep it is because there's a nature on the inside of you that won't let you keep it. What's up? There's a nature on the inside. I must be getting dry. We were teasing about that earlier. I said, if I start getting dry in the message, just start to pump that thing. <laughs> yeah, Pastor John said, well, they're going to have to do it What's right up. up. <laughs> All right, that's enough now. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Where the heck was I? I was just in that great moment. No. So the, the, the spirit of Adam was, and, and that corruption that entered into the spirit of Adam is a nature of death that produces sin, that that nature is the soil out of which wrong actions will grow. And so if you just keep forgiving sin, it's like me fixing the drip from the wax ring. I need to go to the source and the problem, and the problem wasn't the drip. The problem was the wax ring. And so your problem is not somebody else. Your problem is not flesh and blood. Your problem is not discouragement. Your problem aren't those things. Your problem is a source. It is a nature. It is the nature of death that is at work in the law or the members of our flesh, which is why we need to change the way that we think. And so again, he says, if there had been a law given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, the nature, so that what was promised, so that what was promised being given, how? Through faith in Christ, how strong and powerful is the simple act of believing through faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. The promise comes to, comes to those who believe. Everybody say believe. believe. That's who gets the promise, not the perfect one. Not the one who's been in church for 40 years. Not the one who can quote 17 scriptures or 107. It comes to those who believe, which is why Paul said this in Romans chapter 5. It's God's one-man plan. <laughs> when Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. One man's sin affected you and me thousands of years later. He says, sin entered the human experience and death was the result. And so death followed this sin, casting its shadow over all of humanity because all have sinned. And that was the lesson from last week. Adam begat sons after his image and likeness. That image and likeness was corrupt. That nature of sin was passed to everybody. Verse 17, death, that nature, once held us in its grip by the blunder of one man. Death reigned as king over humanity. Death was the ruling force. Death, that nature, was the taskmaster. All of humanity was broken because of that, because of one person. All of the problems of humanity because one man sinned. Now, if you can get that, the domino effect that happened, if you can get that because of one man, then you can get the rest. Notice what Paul goes on to say. But now, everybody say, but now. Something is different. There's a normal God wants to lead you into. But now, how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life? Can I tell you, that's not normal. That's not normal for the world. In fact, Kind is not even normal for the body of Christ. 
Because we just think it's normal to be discouraged. We just think it's normal to be quiet. We just think it's normal to feel the way that we feel. And yet God says, there's something I want to bring you into. It's normal as I define it, and I want you to act like a king in this life. I want you to know that there's something reigning on the inside of you that is greater than the law of sin and death that right now seems to be wrapping itself around you. But now, how much more are we held in the grip of grace and we continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah. Now, listen to verse 21. Just as sin reigned through death, when Adam sinned in the garden, sin and death became the king and it was the ruler. Just as sin reigned through death, so also in the same way. Again, if you can understand God's one man plan in Adam, then God's one man plan in Christ should set our hearts on fire. So also, this sin-conquering grace, everybody say grace, will reign as king through righteousness, say righteousness, imparting eternal life, say life, through Jesus our Lord and our Messiah. Paul said in Galatians 3, if there had been a law given that could have given life, then righteousness would have come through the law. If there was a law that was given that could have given life, right standing with God would have come through the law. But the law could only remind us that we are sinners. The law comes and condemns us because we can't keep it. And so we needed somebody that would come and that would help us out. And so these three words, this sin-conquering grace, that's what God wanted to give all of humanity. It was God's riches at Christ's expense. This extravagant grace demonstrated by the love of God comes to humanity through righteousness, right standing with God. God needed a way to be able to call you righteous. And he couldn't call you righteous. He couldn't impart right standing to you because of sin. The nature was wrong. You were at odds with God. But God loved you so much, he wanted to call you righteous. He wanted to bring you back. He wanted to win you back. And God needed a vehicle to be able to call you righteous. And so God sent his son, born of a virgin. God put his life into into Jesus. And Jesus willingly gave up his life and he shed his blood because without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. His blood was shed so that you could be forgiven. And and by that forgiveness, Jesus went to hell and he paid the price. He he cashed out, he checked out in a sense in that cash register and he paid the price in full so that you and I could be made right. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that that, uh, um, uh, uh, it's the righteousness of God. Pastor Tim, 2 Corinthians 5.21, help me out. If any man be in Christ, no, that's 17. We are the righteousness of God in, no. Yeah, but there's, the, he became righteous. We, we're righteous, but he became unrighteous. I don't know. Look it up. <laughs> I don't know what it is. What's up? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> that was a good one. You did that one right. <laughs> so, Again, this sin-conquering grace through right standing, now God can impart life. We have a new nature. 
I'm a new creation. We have a new nature, a new life on the inside. And because we have a new nature and a new life on the inside, that new nature and life is the power whereby, it's the power whereby we can now be right and do right and act right and live right. Amen? Amen? It's because of that life that's on the inside of us. So the greatest need, if God would have only dealt with forgiving of our sins, the nature would still be wrong. And so while we do need to be forgiven of our sin, we need a new nature so we don't keep, God went went in and he fixed the wax ring on the inside of us and we should quit dripping stupid stuff. Which is why next week we'll talk about renewing your mind. I'm going to just set that up and we'll be done, maybe, probably. What's up? Now, I I heard something about a totally different context, and and, and context isn't important in one sense, but um, said this, whoever controls your past controls your future. Whoever controls your past is going to control your future. If you let the enemy control your past... He's going to control your future. If you let the enemy continually remind you of your sin, your shame, your guilt, your wrong, your failure, and all of those other things, he will control your future. But if you let God control your past, and that's the beautiful power of this. Paul goes on in Romans chapter 6, and he says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him. In, in, In the way that God viewed this, you died with Christ. When Jesus was crucified, so were you. The old nature, the sin nature, that was crucified. So again, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body, remember Paul said in 1 Corinthians, your flesh ruled, your body's ruling you right now, so that the body that's ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, and we did, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. It's not normal to die twice, and yet in the kingdom of God, it's important to understand that you did die twice. When Jesus died, you died with him. It's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ, and yet it's no longer, I myself no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the real life I now have, the real life I have now within this body is a result of what? (coughs) Living right, doing all kinds of good things, showing up in church. No, not any of those things. All of those things are important and they are good. but They're not the basis. He said again, it is a result of my trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, I want to close with this thought. I want you to think about it this week. Just because you're used to something doesn't mean it's normal. I say that again. Just because you're used to something doesn't mean it's normal. Whoever controls your past is going to control your future. And if you let the normal of this life, fear, bondage, oppression, if you let that normal control you, you're going to miss out on what God has for you. I want to encourage you this morning to live, <laughs> I want to say it this way, to live without the drip. God fixed the wax ring. God dealt with the problem. 2,000 years ago, Jesus paid the price. 
And by simple, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, and that's a majority of you in here this morning, you get in Christ by, be, by believing. You get in Christ by accepting him as the Lord of your life. That's how you get in Christ. It is one, that phrase in Christ, one of the most important phrases in the New Testament. You need to know what it means to be in Christ. You need to be convinced that you are in Christ. You need to get off the roller coaster and the teeter-totter of your feelings and your shame and your guilt. You need to quit being up and down. I feel good. I feel saved. I'm not good. I'm not saved. I messed up. Get rid of it. Get past it. Get over it because there's a new nature on the inside of you. And that new nature on the inside of you is crying out for the mercy of God. And that nature that's on the inside of you is saying, hey, there's life and there's love that's in me. Let let." the inside flow to the outside. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation and old things have passed away. It's not normal to die twice, but you have. And when you died that second time, you got free of those things. There's freedom on the inside, but in our thinking and in our flesh, it's like, well, that doesn't feel normal. It's not normal for me to be excited. Not normal for me to be happy. Not normal for me to be joyful. Just because you don't feel that doesn't mean it shouldn't be normal. Get over yourself. Get over your past. Get over your feelings. How? Remind yourself, I died to that. I'm dead to that. Would you stand with me this morning? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you. Thank you for this congregation of men and women. I thank you for the heart that's in this place. And God, we don't want to go back to anything. We want to step into everything that you have for us. We want to embrace it. We want to, we want to run with open arms towards it. Because we believe, Father, there's a, a freshness and a newness that you want to breathe into our lives individually and into this congregation. Father, we want your power. We want your grace and your mercy and your love. We want to be a people that are not normal. We don't want to act like mere human beings, but Father, we want to act like the sons and daughters of God that you've created us to be. And so Father, help us as we renew our minds to these thoughts, as we renew our our mind to your way and to your word, that it would bring transformation into our life. With your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never made Jesus Christ your savior. Maybe you're like the scripture in Psalms, that man, guilt has overwhelmed you and you are so tired. Jesus said, you can take my yoke, it's easy. My burden's light. If you're here today and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, he offers you a way of escape through this new birth. You say, Pastor, I'm ready to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Would you just slip up your hand real high? Anyone else say, Pastor, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Just hold your hand up real high for a moment. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Would you... Pray, let's all pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name. I surrender. Your way better than my way. So, Father, I'm going to pick up your way. Jesus, I believe you died for me. Your blood is enough. I receive today forgiveness of sin and a new life. I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I thank you for these that have prayed this prayer. I thank you that your life is in us in abundance, and we go with that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Joy.